Welcome to the Let's Talk CJ podcast. I am your host, Dr. Pat Nelson, a member of the Department of Criminal Justice at Minnesota State University, Mankato. Thank you for joining us as we explore different topics about criminal justice and also profile current and retired professionals from the criminal justice system. We hope you learn some new things about these topics and amazing people, so please enjoy. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of Let's Talk CJ, as we talk with retired Lieutenant Jody Nelson, who spent about 25 years in law enforcement and was really part of that first wave of women joining law enforcement in the 1980s. She served as a dispatcher at the Itasca County Sheriff's Office in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, then a part-time police officer in Piers, Minnesota, Then she served as a federal police officer for the Federal Protective Service stationed at Fort Snelling, which covered the entire Twin Cities area. Finally, she joined the Minneapolis Police Department in January of 1986 and retired in May of 2006. And for full disclosure, in case I slip, she is my mother and I'm very proud of her and consider her a mentor. And she was married to a law enforcement officer and has a father that was a law enforcement officer. So if I'm a blue blood, she is definitely a blue blood. So thank you for joining us, Jody. So can you start with telling us, you know, how did you decide to get into law enforcement? Okay, well, you know, my dad was a police officer and he was a deputy sheriff in Adams County, Colorado. And then we moved to Alaska, and he was a police officer in Seward, Alaska. Um, It was one of those things that, you know, I wanted to be like my dad. So, you know, being in law enforcement was one of those things. But you have to take into consideration this was the, you know, late 60s, early 70s, and women in law enforcement really wasn't the thing. But I had met my future husband, who was a military policeman, when he was stationed at Fort Richardson, Alaska. Um, I met him in Seward. And we then got married. When we married, he had become a conservation officer, or a game warden back in those days, in Minnesota, where he was from. We moved to Piers because that was his duty station Um, back in the day, (laughs) as I call it, um, being the wife of a game warden, um, you know, you answered the phone if your husband was out and working and those type of things, you were basically his dispatcher. Because everybody would call the house and go, oh, yeah, we've got a a deer that was hit by a car. Can you come pick it up? Or, you know, it's still alive. Can you come and take care of it? Um, Those type of things. So, you know, being a wife of a conservation officer also gives you a lot of the law enforcement type of background. So I just want to clarify. So when you say back in the day, we're talking about the early 1970s, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, Unfortunately, he was killed in the line of duty in 1975. Um, And 
from there, I was sort of still trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and everything. And the sheriff of Itasca County um, was a retired game warden that I knew. And when a dispatcher's position came open, um, I asked if it would be possible if I could take that position. And he said, sure, no problem. Um, dispatcher did not need to have any kind of education because I didn't have any education at that point in time and everything. And it worked well because I was the night dispatcher so that my kids, you know, they, they had a babysitter who stayed with them while I worked and I worked the night shift and I took care of my kids during the day. Um, one of the best stories that I can tell you about being a dispatcher, because this goes back to women in law enforcement, was that one night a lady had called and wanted a deputy. And at that time, the deputies went home at two o'clock in the morning. There was no reason to have a deputy on from two until seven because there was very few calls. And if you needed them, you called them out. Anyway, <clears throat> a little old lady, you could tell by her voice that she was a little old lady and that called and said, I need to have a deputy. And it was just a matter of, you know, she wanted to talk to somebody at that point in time. And I said, well, unfortunately, um, I'm the only one who is on duty right now. You can talk to me. And she goes, well, if you're the only one who's there that I can talk to, this county is really falling apart. <laughs> but you <laughs> are basically okay. the, you are the entire county law enforcement from 2 p.m. 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. until the deputies came back on then. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> plus, plus I was also the jailer. Right. Because it was a dispatcher jailer position. So anybody that was in jail was also my responsibility. Mm -hmm. And um, everything. But like I said, I chuckled about that for many years because she, you, you could tell that she was going, you're a female. I just, that's not right. It's, you know, we're in big trouble if it's a female who's actually responsible here for our county yeah. and everything. So, um so then how did you end up going to the position in peers? Okay. Um, because of, <clears throat> let's see, how do you put this? Because of my life mm -hmm. and that type of thing, I had decided that instead of living in Grand, in, in Grand Rapids and that type of thing, that I'd rather be back in peers where, you know, I had lived for five years with, Russ, my husband, mm -hmm. and um, I had friends there and that type of thing. My kids were, you know, only four, four and two. Yeah, that's when we moved funny. to Piers, well, when we moved to Piers and everything. Well, once I got to Piers and I lived in Piers for a couple for about a year, I guess it was. And once again, being familiar with the law enforcement people there, the chief of Piers, Herman Holheisel, had approached me and said, Would you like to become 
and this was this was in 1980. Um, he asked if I would like to become a part-time police officer. And I said, oh, that would be perfect. This is what I'm looking for and everything because, you know, part-time is supposed to mean part-time. And um, you work when the chief tells you and that type of thing. And it was, you know, five or six hours, maybe three or four times a week, which worked out well. Once again, in Minnesota, to be a part-time police officer, you didn't have to have the education requirement. Right. You you had to do um, a certain number of hours of continuing education. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't that you had to have at least a two-year degree and have to go through skills and all of those kind of things. Um, So, like I said, the part-time position worked out perfectly for me and everything. And the thing there was that it got to be that the chief went, oh, this is great. You know, I've got Jody; She'll work anytime I ask her to. And... um, it basically became, I was working the full-time position and he was working the part-time position. Right. Um, after an incident where he ended up in trouble and everything like that, I went, this is absolutely ridiculous. There's no reason that I should be doing this. So I might as well get the education so that I could actually work full-time for a department. Yeah. Um, and trying to do logistics with kids and everything like that. Um, I made arrangements with my sister who lived in Wisconsin to live with her while I went to school um, because um, Waukesha Technical Institute had a law enforcement program. Um, So uh, I picked up the girls and I, and we moved to Wisconsin, and that only lasted about six months. No, not even six months. A it was semester. A, a semester, it yeah. Was, it, it was a semester and everything, and I decided that, you know, this just isn't working. I can't live with my sister. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and everything. So I um, made an application to Hennepin County Community. Uh, um, Hennepin County Hennepin Technical College Hennepin Technical College it's called Hennepin Technical College now that's the name of it now okay yeah yeah but I I I think it was called Hennepin Community College back at that time anyway whatever but I made it but I got an application and I got accepted um into the two-year law enforcement program I basically put the two-year program into a year Um, and once I got through the program there, a position for the federal protective service came available out at Fort Snelling. Okay. I'm going to stop you for a second. How many women were in your class during college? Do you remember? Were there a couple? Were there a handful? Anything like that? Um, you know, I really don't remember 
I, I was so focused on, you know, I need to get this done and, you know, going to school night and day and all those other kind of things. I really, I can't tell you how many, Okay, you so, know, there was probably, there was probably a handful, but I don't know for sure. So we know you looked up to your dad. How did your dad react when you told him you were going to school for law enforcement? Um, actually, he... He was very proud of me becoming a police officer. Mm-hmm. But other than that, he, he really didn't say anything in regards to it. Mm-hmm. But like I said, he, he was proud that I that I became a police officer. Yeah, I can just say from personal experience, he hold he held that very close to his vest until he was much older in his life about how proud he was of both uh, Jody and myself. So, okay. So why was the federal protective service position appealing to you? Because the federal protective service did it like the idea that I had a two-year degree, but it didn't require me to have a two-year degree. But the other thing that it did is it sent me to Pletsy down in Georgia which basically is the federal government skills course. Yes. Yeah. And, federal, um, it's a federal law enforcement training center is what Fletzy is. So, yep. Yes. Yes. And basically what that did is they paid me for my, they paid my skills. And once I came back, it meant I could take the reciprocity test with Minnesota to become qualified as a Minnesota police officer. So you kind of took kind of a stepwise path getting those education requirements and skill requirements, but you got it. You got to the point where you could be licensed in Minnesota. You took the reciprocity test. That was good. Right. Um, so when you were down at Fletzy, do you remember being with other women or was it mostly men? Do you remember? Um, no, actually at Fletzy, um, in my class, I think we had five females. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, like I said, being with the federal government, they were from all over the United States. Yeah. So it, there wasn't anybody else from Minnesota who was in my Pletsy class. Do you remember how big your class was? Was there about 15, um, 50 in your class? No, I would say that there was maybe 40 at the most. Okay. The reason- but I don't even think it was that much. The only reason I ask is that historically, from that very first wave of really women entering law enforcement in the 1980s, even through today, we are only seeing a really steady 12% female. So having five uh, females in your Fletzy class and a class of 40 or 50 is still holding right at that same number that we see. It's just amazing. We haven't increased that historically. So, all right. correct. So you came back and worked with FPS, and I hope you don't mind. I'm going to kind of skip a little bit of FPS. Although, what do you think was the most challenging part or unique part of that job? Um, Basically, um, with FPS was the fact that, you know, I was the only one out there, you know, because I worked nights. And once again, I was the only one out there for all of the Twin Cities areas for the federal buildings and, you know, that type of thing. So once again, it's sort of that they put you out there and say, 
do your job and do as you're expected. And it's still the fact, like you said, is that there wasn't that many females in law enforcement. Right. So I'm going to dig- yep, so digress for a second because before we get to Minneapolis. Um, I always say this because I am much taller than my mom. You know, when they talk about <laughs> women in law enforcement, one of the one of the criticisms for a long time was they're too small. They're not strong enough. And my mom is five, three on a really good day with the right shoes. Right. <laughs> um, and I'm I'm about five, ten. So I've got my mom on height. But did you ever feel like your size was a disadvantage? Um, no, I never felt my size was a dif- disadvantage. And one of the reasons is, is because when I was a part time police officer in peers, one of the one of the educational things that I had done was doing, a you know, a self defense class. And everybody else that was in the class were guys, and had decided that, well, we'll show Jody you know, what this is all about. Well, the first guy that came at me, because, you know, I, I had taken enough, I, I knew enough of how to protect myself and everything. And, you know, the, the pointers that they were giving and everything like that. So I just, you know, leaned down through the guy over my shoulder, and he ended up flat on his back and everybody laughed and had a good time. And after that, they went, don't mess with her. <laughs> Yeah, she knows how to take you down. Yeah. So like I said, but but that's, that's where it was. And, you know, my size had never really, I never really thought anything about it. I'm not a little petite person, and everything. I'm short, but I'm stocky, and everything. Um, but I think that where a lot of the times that some of the criticism comes in about the females are the ones that are, you know, five, two and weigh less than a hundred pounds that you're going, Oh, anybody could pick her up and throw her wherever. Right. So, but there's, but there's definitely defensive tactics and things that people any yes. size can do. I mean, size does not make the peace officer ties. Size no. does not make a good police officer. So, well, thank you for no. letting me cut in on that. I just wanted anybody listening to this to kind of have a visual of that. So why Minneapolis? How did you end up in Minneapolis? Well, one of the things is, is working for the federal government, they can transfer you anywhere they decide to. And I had, I did not want to leave Minnesota. Um, And unfortunately, I did not have enough seniority for when they started moving people out of Fort Snelling because they were downsizing um, to be able to stay in Fort, you know, there. And um, Minneapolis was hiring. And so I applied to Minneapolis and it was one of those things that I had, you know, I had experience, I had the education, I already had skills. And those were the type of things that they were looking for at Minneapolis in hiring. So who how many women were in your class when you got hired? Uh, you should have asked me this beforehand. So that no, I that's, okay. <laughs> that's um, okay. It was probably a handful, right? Um, I think it was Let's see, because Nancy and um, I think there was six. 
Okay. And what size was your class that got hired? Do you remember? Um, probably 35. Okay. So, yep, we're still holding at that same percentage. So, all right. Yeah. So you get hired, you start with an academy in Minneapolis. Now, I assume all of your academy cadre officers and instructors were male, right? Yes. Okay. So anything significant in the academy that you can remember or just kind of went through it and then got out on FTL? Well, um, you also have to realize is I was much older mm -hmm. when I got hired at Minneapolis than most of the people who were in my class. Because when I started in Minneapolis, I was 34. Mm -hmm. And um, being already established in my life, more so of all of a sudden people saying, you have to do this and this and this and this and this. And I'm going, uh, no, I don't. <laughs> that I butted heads with, you know, with the training staff and that type of thing but you know it's one of those things is you 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 have to be a person and you have to stand up if they're doing something wrong mm -hmm. or if um you know it's something that you're going i can't do that right that they need to figure out that you know yes i'm a female and i'm an older female so what are you going to do in regards to making things work out just because i'm not you know, 21 years old, and I can run five miles without catching a breath and those type of things. But um, like I said, um, going through the academy was a little bit of a challenge on both my side and the administration side. But like I said, it, once I got through it, it was fine. Uh, I, I'm just throwing this out here. I don't know if you know it or not. You were the only one that was an actual mother during the academy for your class, right? That's correct. Do you know if you were the first one that had kids to go through the academy? Do you know? Because I, I mean, because I, I mean, I, most of them uh, came in pretty young into the academy yeah. setting. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, you know, I never actually thought of that. But it very well could have been that I was one of the first ones that, you know, the other females that had came on the department and that, well, Marie, when she came on the department was a mother. Oh, okay. Yeah. She had Amanda and um, that was retired Lieutenant Marie Prasinski. Yes. Yeah. And she came on about six months before I did. And that, um, but like I said, I, there was not a whole lot of them because you're right. Most of them were much younger right? in regards to when they came on the department and, you know, they, they were just out of school and those type of things. And even the first females that were hired for Minneapolis in the late, in the middle seventies, late seventies, they were hired when they were young as well, that they had, they didn't have families established. Yeah. Okay. So. so you got through the training Academy where most of them were probably younger than you anyway. And now you're going to yes. go out to field training. Um, and I just want to give some context for anybody listening to this is Minneapolis works rotating shifts. So it was rotating eight hour shifts, right? Yes. So then you, you rotated through days, dogs, and middles. 
Yeah. So that meant in every, that order. every month they would change um, not only the hours that they were working, but maybe their days off. So there wasn't a, like you didn't know for sure for the entire year what your whole schedule was going to be. And Minneapolis still does this to the this day where you pick up, pick your days off. So, all right. So let's talk about field training. How did that go? What were the challenges with rotating shifts right away while everybody was getting used to you working with Minneapolis? Um, rotating shifts um, are a challenge no matter where you work. And the thing is, is the way the rotation does, it's really hard on your body. And as you know, that usually middle watch was the worst right. because day watch, the kids were in school. Um, middle watch, you know, was two to 10. So your kids weren't home from school yet. Um, by the time you got home, they were already in bed and, um, it went that way. And then working dog watch, which was 10 at night until six in the morning was good because, you know, you'd work the night and then you could sleep the day. Um, but, uh, like I said, it, it is, and then happened to do it every month. I know that Minneapolis no longer does that rotation. Um, you get to pick your days off, but you also bid a shift for a year so That's that correct. you know that the shift that you're going to be on is what you're going to be working um, for the full year. It's not that, oh yeah, this month you're working this and this month you're working that type of thing. Um like I said, it, it's one of those things is if it's something you want to do, you're going to do it and it works out because you want to do it. And I did want to be a police officer. I, I thoroughly enjoyed my job. Um, I would not do anything else. But like I tell lots of people that go, well, I want to be a law enforcement officer. You really need to think about it because not everybody's cut out to be a law enforcement officer. Right, right. So... You worked patrol for how long? I worked patrol for six years. And they were all uh, in the fourth precinct? They were all in the north side in the fourth precinct. Um, we, When I first started, uh, the precinct was up on West Broadway. Um, the locker room had room for four females, I think it was. And we had, I think, you know, um, over the <laughs> over the shifts, I think there was probably a total of maybe 12 females assigned at that point in time. Right. Um, so, like I said, it was one of those things that you're going in. OK, well, our lockers, you know, the locker room, like I said. We had lockers for everybody, but there wasn't a whole lot of room for people. Right. <laughs> where, where, where the guy's locker room, oh, yeah, hey, we got all this room and we got all these lockers and all that other kind of stuff. So, um, so then when, because that was in 86, when they moved to the new precinct, which was 88, 89, maybe. I don't really remember then, but like I said, 
there we had really nice facilities. We had a place we could shower. We had plenty of lockers and, you know, a, a locker room that wasn't quite as big as the guys, but it was big enough in regards to future additions of females mm-hmm. for the locker room. So. So what did you like about working patrol? Actually, I liked working patrol because, well, every, well, no matter what you're doing, every, every day was something different. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, I, let's see, I had made some really good friends. Um, I didn't really have, I worked with, because Minneapolis always had two person squads. They never had one person squads. Right. Okay. So basically on the shift, you ended up getting, you know, sometimes you were partnered with the same person a lot. Other times you sort of got moved around from this one to this one to this one and everything. Being a female, um, I ended up getting moved around a lot and getting put with the males that the other guys didn't want to work with. Mm-hmm. and that type of thing. Um, one instance was that the male that I got put with the most um, had a body odor. Oh. And like I said, being in the squad car with him on a regular basis and everything like that, it's one of those things that you're going, oh, how can I do this? You hate to complain about things and, you know, you're sort of going, well, I can go along with this and everything. I've always been one that had a squad car window open all the time anyway. So that didn't bother. And well, it bothered, but it helped that you could keep the window down and everything. But when um, some of the other officers that I worked with started saying, you know, well, we don't want to work with him because, oh my God, the smell and everything like that. I went, you know, if everybody is complaining, why hasn't somebody said something to the supervisor to say something to this person of, you know, maybe you need to do a little bit better hygiene and everything. Well, since I ended up working with him the most, I went to the sergeant and I said, you know, could you just talk to him and, you know, say, you know, it'd be nice if you'd take better hygiene. Um, well, once he got talked to, well, then he told everybody that it was my fault that he got in trouble. Yeah. Even though everybody else was going, oh, thank God she said something. Because uh-huh. now we can actually ride in the car with him because right. he did, you know, because he listened to it and everything like that. But like I said, I sort of ended up being the bad guy because mm-hmm. I was the one who actually complained. And they said, well, it was because she was a female that she complained, even though all the guys were complaining, but they wouldn't go to the supervisor. Right, right. Yeah, well, that's you actually know. pretty common. We're the one person yeah. that says something, especially if they're a female versus a male. So. Yes, definitely. So, so so you worked patrol and then you took the sergeant's test. Why did you take the sergeant's test and what did you hope to do being a sergeant? Um, like I said, being a little bit older and that type of thing, 
the sergeant, after being a, a police officer, the sergeant is the next rank. Um, you know, taking the sergeant's test was one of those things of moving up in rank um, where you do different jobs. Um, you could either become a street supervisor, you could become an investigator. In Minneapolis, you had to be a sergeant to be an investigator. Um, and, you know, it was just the natural order of things in regards to it. Usually most people who um, do about, you know, you at that point in time, you had to have at least five years on as a police officer before you could take the sergeant's test mm -hmm. and um, everything. So like I said, it was, it was just a natural sequence in regards to the job. So when you first got promoted to sergeant, you ended up being an investigator. What did you investigate? What did you like being a, an investigator? Um, I was promoted to sergeant and I became a, a sex crimes investigator um, I did four years in sex crimes. Um, As an investigator, it, it always sounds weird when you say that to somebody from the oh. outside, but <laughs> she was an investigator in sex crimes for four years. Yes, yes I, I was an, an investigator in sex crimes for four years. Um, during that four years, um, we had a serial rapist that I was on the task force that we ended up catching him and then um the one of the cases that i had that i was the primary on and everything was a guy who was breaking into houses in the middle of the night and um always had a mask on always wore dark clothes and everything but he would talk when he was sexually assaulting the females inside their houses and everything. Um, we actually got a conviction on him. And a lot of it was because the females um, could um, recognize his voice. Mm -hmm. So like I said, it was one of those tricky investigative cases of trying to go, okay, how are you actually going to do this? Um, thankfully, he, we had DNA. Mm -hmm. So that helped in regards to it. But like I said, if we if they wouldn't have been able to recognize his voices, even with the DNA, we probably would have had a hard time, because DNA was just coming into play at that point in time, the yes. DNA was not really trusted. Right. To say, yes, this was positively him, where nowadays, you know, oh, yeah, that we got their DNA. You're you're definitely the person who did this because this is your DNA. Right. So, like I said, that that was the other one. Um, and then one of the other ones that I actually did that I was primary on and everything. And I. I don't brag about this, but when you have a bad cop, something mm -hmm. needs to be done. Yes. And I ended up ended up getting a police officer convicted because he had sexually assaulted a female that he had stopped 
for drunken driving, and he sexually assaulted her in the backseat of the police car. And um, you're right. When you have a cop that's doing bad things, you have to do the right thing and stop them. And yeah, I agree yes. with that. Yes. And, and, but like I said, once again, this goes back to, well, you know, she's just picking on him because mm-hmm. she's a female and everything like that. But like I said, he, he was. He was convicted of that one. He, he was convicted of it and everything because he did some stupid things, mm-hmm. you know, um, and we had really good evidence because he was stupid in the way he got did things. Right. But like I said, he may very well have gotten by. He, he may very well have gotten by with doing it if the female hadn't been so adamant and upset Mm-hmm. that he did this to her and with him being where we where we be where we were able to collect the evidence right. to show that he actually did this right was very important yes so after sex crimes where did you go after that after sex crimes i went to um oh what was it called um can you help me out? Um, you have to tell me what you did, and I can tell you what it's called. I can't remember. Oh, <laughs> where I did the gambling. Um, oh, you did the the vice. Get, um, no, it no, was uh, the ga- gambling enforcement. Gambling enforcement and, and permits and yeah, yeah, I don't remember what it's yeah. called anymore, but yeah, it was so the gambling yeah. enforcement and the the um the permits to carry, permits to purchase that whole area there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and everything. And um, like I said, that one was, it was okay. It was one of those things that you're going, all right, that's, it's, it's something different Mm -hmm. and that type of thing. And, but like I said, I didn't think that I did anything outstanding there. But then I got promoted. I took the lieutenant's test and I got promoted to lieutenant. But before you got promoted to lieutenant, didn't you get to go to the Southern Police Institute? Or was it after you were lieutenant? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, Yeah, you're right, actually. So can you talk about that process a little bit about the Southern Police Institute versus like the FBI Academy? Because they're both on par, the same kind of thing. Okay. Um, The Southern Police Institute in Louisville, Kentucky, um, usually what... What the department does is they will ask people if they would like to attend. Um, It's an administrative um, course for three months, four months maybe, um, at Louisville, Kentucky. And you get college credits for going and that type of thing. They have a selective process of where... Um, they'll take what you have done in the department, what you're currently doing, where you would like to go on the department, and then the department decides, okay, this is the person who gets to go. Um, I got picked to go in, um, 1995. Mm -hmm. And I, um, like I said, I went down to Louisville in August and came back versus the last part of November and everything. Um, it's the 
SPI, which is the Southern Place Institute, is more of an academic type study versus the FBI, which is more physical. Yep. Yeah, yeah, the the FBI Leadership Institute, the Northwestern uh, Police Leadership Institute, and the Southern Police Institute are very equal, except that SPI does focus a little bit more on academics. FBI is more physical, and then Northwestern kind of blends the two, but they are equal credentials for leadership. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, they are. Um, so, um, like I said, once... Once I did it, like I said, SPI was a great experience. You meet people from all over the country. Um, and like I said, it, it gives you more of a perspective of how to be administration mm-hmm. more so than being a investigator or on patrol or those type of things. And it set up set you up very well because then you were promoted to lieutenant. Talk about being a lieutenant. Is it what you expected? <coughs> oh, I know. Is it what you expected, or was it different than what you expected? Um, being promoted to lieutenant is, like I said, one more thing in the promote and getting more money, getting more. Um, higher in rank in the department. Um, Cause like I said, every promotion you get, you get paid more for what you do. Um, depending on what Lieutenant you are, depends on how much workload you are. If you're a Lieutenant on patrol, it means you have sergeants under you as well as officers under you that being a Lieutenant on patrol, your sergeants do a fair amount of the work. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you're a lieutenant in investigations, you're responsible for all of these sergeants that are working for you um, and for the cases that they're putting together, that it's, you know, a different set in regards to how you work as a lieutenant. Right. Um, then if you become a lieutenant in administrative positions, then you're really not a supervisor like an investigative lieutenant is or a patrol lieutenant is, but you're responsible for the administrative parts of the department. And you spent quite a bit of time in administrative, but you also were a watch commander at times, and then you were the lieutenant in charge of K-9. What was your favorite role as a lieutenant? Um, you know, I can't really pick one that was favorite because I liked all of them that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, becoming a... I was actually, I was a lieutenant of patrol before I became a lieutenant of canine. Mm -hmm. That's true. Because, because I, I was at the downtown command and everything. So like I said, the, and part of the, the patrol lieutenant was not my favorite um, because unfortunately, um, 
happened to do with discipline of officers and those type of things becomes very I don't know. I can't I can't tell you the right word. It becomes but, it comes draining and it becomes hard. It it does become hard on a person. Yes. yes. And one of the reasons that when I was lieutenant of the downtown command uh, of patrol at the downtown command was that there was a sexual harassment suit that I became involved in that had started in the third precinct. Mm -hmm. And then the female who, one of the females who was involved in that sexual harassment suit got um, transferred to the downtown command. Mm -hmm. So basically from there, I, I ended up having to deal with that person who did not want to be at work because of sexual harassment that had occurred in a different precinct, even though it wasn't occurring where she was currently assigned right. and everything like that. She had taken it and went, I don't want to be there at all. So like I said, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, it, it becomes sticky in regards yep. to how it could be handled and that type of thing, but you have to handle it the best you can mm -hmm. and um, going from there. Well, and we've often talked, not just myself and you, but myself and colleagues, how a police department is like a high school. You know, there's clicks, there's gossip, there's rumors that go around. And even in a department the size of Minneapolis, rumors spread and stories spread. And it's not always accurate information, which can impact anybody working. So, yes, very well, true. Well, like you just talked about. You know, we've heard that that very first kind of wave of women um, ended up having to sue departments a lot and that there was a lot of harassment. Can you talk about your experience? Did you, did you experience that? Were you, you part of anything or the people in your classes about suing for harassment or or what was your experience in that realm? Okay. Um, my experience is no, I didn't know anybody that, well, I did know people who sued for sexual harassment. I have to take that back. But I was a, su I was a supervisor of that person and everything. But my class, the people in my class and the people in the classes before me, um, as far as I know, there wasn't anybody in those classes that actually sued for sexual harassment. Um, the sort of the next wave the ones that were hired in late 87, 88, 89 are where the sexual harassment suits actually started in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. okay. So, but like I said, I, I know of them, mm -hmm. but it wasn't that I was truly that associated with them. And it wasn't until I was a lieutenant in 96 that I actually ended up having to deal with a sexual harassment suit. 
So as we're kind of coming to a close here, I'm, I'm going to ask one last thing. And now this is kind of shifting personal. So your daughter, me, I joined the Minneapolis Police Department in 1997. And we were the first mother daughter to work for the same law enforcement agency in the upper Midwest that we know of for sure. We don't know anywhere else outside of that. What did you think of me becoming a peace officer and then working for the same agency? Did you have any reservations? Actually, um, I was very proud when you decided that you wanted to become a law, law enforcement officer, um, that you wanted to work for Minneapolis was absolutely one of those things that I'm going, I can't believe it, but <laughs> it's okay. Um, and um, we, we were the first mother-daughter police officers in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you always talk, the guys always talk of, well, I'm a third generation police officer. And in Minneapolis, there was plenty of them that were, you know, second, third, fourth generation police officers, but we were the only ones that were mother and daughter, um, in Minnesota mm-hmm. yeah, at and, that, at that yeah. time. And I never directly worked for you and we never wanted it that way. Um, I did help with the MDC training, but so we ended up on a couple of scenes together because you were the watch commander and I was a responding officer. But other than that, we didn't really interact professionally that way, which was a good thing in many ways. But um, I was always very proud you were my mom and I'm very happy with that. So when you decided to retire, Um, What did you miss most about um, the police force after you retired? Um, You know, being in law enforcement, no matter what size your department is, they're still all family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you make some very good friends and that type of thing. But um, so it's missing the fam, the, missing the camaraderie, basically, of everybody that you worked with. Because like I said, there's good, there's bad, you know, you get along with some, you, you know, it's just like having a family is, you know, some you get along with some you don't get along with. But it's still the feeling of that, if something happens, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be there for you. And um, that you you have some stability in regards to it. Um, Retiring takes a lot Mm -hmm. for anybody who's thinking about retiring out there. It takes a lot to get your mind where you can go, Oh, I don't have to go to work today. And I don't have to worry. I don't, you know, on the news, I don't have to worry about, you know, um, what the news media is doing and what what's happening there and that type of thing. Um, worrying about something happened to some of your friends and that type of thing that never leaves you, but mm-hmm. it takes a lot to get your mindset differently um, from law enforcement of being able to say I'm retired. And, you know, when people go, Oh, well, you were a police officer. That must've been a very interesting life. And, you know, what did you do and all that other kind of stuff as most law enforcement people will tell you is they don't really talk about their job mm-hmm. because most people think, Oh, you know, it would be interesting. But once you start telling them, they're going, Oh my God. 
<laughs> you know, so like I said, it, it's some of those kind of things that you, you know, you have to get yourself in a different mindset when you retire. So we're going to close this podcast. I'm going to ask you to give some advice. So I can give a lot of my female students advice on what it's like to be a female police officer. But the biggest concern I hear from them is, hi, I can't be a mother and a police officer, or it's not fair to the kids. So if I had a student and sitting in front of me who's concerned about that, what advice would you give them about being a peace officer and a mother? Um. Being a mother is hard, mm-hmm. no matter what profession you're in. If you like the profession you're in, it's going to show your children how life is and what they can also do. Um, I'm a firm believer that, you know, being with your, you know, you have to let your kids live their lives as well. You can't be there all the time for them. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to be trusted and let go. Um, and, you know, yes, it is hard being a mom. And, you know, you see your kids and that type of thing. Um, if they grow up with you being a law enforcement officer, they're just going to be oh well they're a cop that's what they do and you know it's not a big deal in regards to that um I know that your sister Penny always had sort of a fear of mom not coming home especially since I was a single mom and that type of thing um but you know it it's one of those things is if something I I could have been, you know, a cook at the school and got hit by a car walking home from the school. And, you know, it's the same thing of if something happened at work, you know, it's it's still going to affect you no matter what your job is. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you for talking with me and for everybody that gets to listen to this. I know we could talk for hours and hours on this and we didn't even get the chance to share stories, including a basketball game and glasses, but maybe that's for a future (laughs) one. But thank you so much. I am very proud of you and your career and the great mom that you were. And I appreciate you taking your time to talk with me. And I appreciate you doing this, but you have to understand, I am so proud of you for what you have done with your 17 years with Minneapolis and now number 11 as a teacher of all of those people going into law enforcement and how well you do it and how well your students respond to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Let's Talk CJ podcast. If you have suggestions for future episode topics, interviews, or other areas to cover, please email us at criminaljustice at mnsu.edu or visit our website. Join us next time for a new episode and thank you for listening.